right. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two is here of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Bean, soon to be Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Bean. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about that more after a while. Thanks for staying around for hour, hour number two. If you're just coming in, welcome in. we got a lot of stories this hour. We're going to begin um, with, well, we've got to talk sometime during the hour. We're going to talk about uh, James O'Keefe and his exit uh, from um, his job in exposing people for just being liars. I mean, and I, and I don't know anybody that's done a better job than Project Veritas at achieving that. And I don't, I don't fully understand why James O'Keefe, who started Project Veritas, was ousted by his board. But we're going to get into that in this hour. We've got there's a great piece today over at Christian Post that talks about a lot of the things that we we need to know about this. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to um, talk about what happens when Republicans actually treat the media the way they need to be treated when the media tells outright lies about them. Now, Look, I'm, I'm not in favor of being confrontational until confrontation is all that's left to us. I like to find another path. I mean, I, sometimes, you know, I can be criticized for that, but I just believe that it's the way of believers, the way of followers of Jesus Christ, that we're to be peacemakers as much as possible. I mean, I think we should always be seeking to find ways to keep relationships, even if there's disagreement, not burn bridges and throw people under the bus. I, I've just never believed that's the Christian path. But when the media just outright lies and refuses to correct the record, then Republicans need to push back. And Ron DeSantis, again, is leading us in that way. He's showing us what it looks like to push back against the media and to do it in a way that has some teeth. I mean, instead of just going out and complaining about it, DeSantis actually cuts off some of these reporters from having access because they constantly refuse to report the truth about things that he says. They smear him by distorting his words or just outright making them up. And that's what happened just this week on NBC's whatever the show that she's the host of, Andrea Mitchell um, on NBC, just came out and wrongfully claimed during an interview with Vice President Kamala Harris that the Republican governor, quote, says that slavery and the aftermath of slavery should not be taught in Flor to Florida school children. That's absolutely false. Governor DeSantis never said that. This is the response that came from Brian Griffin, um, his, who's a spokesperson for DeSantis. Shameful. This question from Mitchell Reports exemplifies everything wrong with corporate media. They're not accidentally terrible at their jobs. They're maliciously intent on deceiving people. Hashtag Governor Ron DeSantis never said this, and Florida has extensive black history requirements. Now, it didn't stop there. Now, that's where most Republicans would stop. They would just say, okay, we're going to point this out and let the American people sort it out. But according to the Federalist, 
DeSantis' office didn't just shame Mitchell for spreading lies about the governor and Florida law that requires students to learn about slavery, Jim Crow, and the civil rights movement. The governor's press secretary, Brian Griffin, also called out NBC for being maliciously intent on deceiving people. In an email addressed to all the bookers and producers reaching out to our office from NBC News and MSNBC, Griffin wrote that the governor's office will give no consideration of anything related to NBC Universal or its, or its affiliates until Andrea Mitchell corrects the blatant lie and NBC and its affiliates display a consistent track record of truthful reporting. That is the way you handle this. In the world that we live in today, you don't have to have the mainstream media that hates you to promote you. I mean, we've got way too many outlets now. You think Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida is not going to get his message out if he doesn't grant interviews to NBC and MSNBC? Who's going to be hurt by that? I mean, DeSantis is going to be a presidential candidate. Suppose he goes out and announces his campaign and refuses to give any interviews or any information. The press uh, uh, corps for DeSantis just completely shuts down NBC, MSNBC, and any affiliate that has anything to do with NBC. Who's going to hurt? Is that going to hurt DeSantis? I mean, is that going to cause him to not get the exposure that? No, it's going to hurt NBC. And it's about time that this starts to happen. Um, now, in in lieu of this, since we're not in lieu of this, but as a result of this, Andrea Mitchell issued what she considers to be an apology. And it was a postscript on one of her programs. She said this, In my interview last Friday with Vice President Harris, I was imprecise in summarizing Governor DeSantis' position about teaching slavery in schools. Governor DeSantis is not opposed to teaching the fact of slavery in schools, but he has opposed the teaching of an African-American studies curriculum as well as the use of some authors and source materials that historians and teachers say makes it all but impossible for students to understand the broader history and political context behind slavery and its aftermath in the years since. So here's what you do. You come out and you issue an apology that's not an apology. And then you follow it up with another smear, just another lie, which at the, at the end of this, when she's talking about that um, the governor is opposing the teaching of African-American studies curriculum, as well as the use of some authors and source materials that historians and teachers say makes it impossible, that, that's not true. If you look at the state of Florida and the way that they teach African-American history, all of that is in the history books. What the governor opposed was standards coming out that was going to have a queer perspective on American black history. And what in the world does that have to do with the history of anything? And so for Andrea Mitchell to come out, and this is what they think they can get away with. They think because in the past when a news media personality like Andrea Mitchell has been caught saying blatantly unthings, untrue things about conservatives that all she's got to do is kind of wave her hand over here toward an apology. Kind of a, yeah, well, yeah, I might have been impreci imprecise. You lied. You made a statement that was 
blatantly false about the governor of Florida, and then you try to cover that up by saying it was an imprecise statement, and then you follow it up with another false accusation. And for most Republicans, they would say, well, that's good enough, I guess. We just have to live in this world. We know that the press doesn't like us. We know they're left wing. We just have to put up with it. No, you don't. So here's, here's, what, here's what the response was. Um, I think we need to take a step back. There will be no consideration of anything related to NBC Universal or its affiliates until, and at least until Andrea Mitchell corrects the blatant lie she made about Governor DeSantis, saying that slavery and its aftermath should not be taught in, to Florida school children. Um, and then he, uh, uh, Jeremy Redfern, who is also with the De, De DeSantis, the governor's office, came out and said, once again, Mitchell reports is imprecise in her description because she relies on unnamed historians and teachers. Florida statute requires the teaching of slavery and its aftermath. We just know that queer studies has nothing to do with Jim Crow. So it'd be easy for them to throw in the towel, to have a take-what-you-can-get attitude and think that this is a win. But Brian Griffin, the press secretary for DeSantis, came out and said this postscript is a typical non-apology response that doubles down on the original lie. And so because of that, they've cut NBC and all of its affiliates off from interviews. They don't count that. They had already done that, but they double down on it. They don't count what Andrea Mitchell said as any kind of apology or correcting the record. And so what I want to say about that is Republicans, please take notes. This is the only way that you're going to get the mainstream media that is dead set against you to stop telling things that are not true. When they do, call them on it and cut them off. We don't have to have them. They're not necessary to your candidacy. They're not necessary to getting the conservative message out. They're going to skew it anyway. So why not call them on the carpet, make them accountable, and say, look, if you want to have these conversations, we'll have them, but we're not going to have them at the expense of you mischaracterizing every time I open my mouth something that I've said and using it against us. Okay, Gary Miller is retiring. His radio talk, 91.9 and 89.7, is changing formats, and all that's going to happen on March 31st. Actually, the format change will, will come, I guess, on April 1st, which is a Saturday, and then April 3rd, when you start your work week, if you're looking for this program, like you do a lot of mornings, and I, I really appreciate that, um, you're going to have to go to a website address that I'm going to give you uh, hopefully in the next week or so that will allow you to stream this program live from 7.30 to 8.30, Monday through Friday. That's when we're going to continue to do it. I'm going to continue to do it. But you'll have to stream it over the website. You can still watch on Facebook Live. We'll have it from 7.30 to 8.30 there. Um, and then the podcast is going to be available. That hour, 7.30 to 8.30, will be a podcast called Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. And you can download it for free. Uh, you can put it on your smartphone, your tablet, whatever you want. And then you can Bluetooth that device through your car and you can listen to it riding around town. You can listen to it at home, whatever. Um, so I would encourage you 
um, to stay with the program. You've been faithful for 21 years now uh, following this show, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I'm going to try to up my game a little bit. I'm going to try to be more concise. I'm going to be focusing on uh, more stories in depth. The website that we're going to have, we'll have some. Th- I'll be writing about stories, having updates about what's going on in Columbia um, as we follow the legislature as part of my responsibilities with the South Carolina Baptist Convention. So there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to stay engaged with this program, and I hope you will. Um, you know, we just talked about what happens when Republicans push back against the media. Now let's talk about what happens when Republicans, conservatives, people who are concerned about children push back against the transgender agenda. One of the darkest things in America today is this idea that minors should be told and encouraged to mutilate their bodies in the name of transgender or and and transgender rights, um, and I think a lot of people in this country recognize that. There's a big battle going on at the New York Times over this. You know, the New York Times has been beginning to do some actual reporting on the dangers of transitional surgeries on minors, on puberty blockers, on um, you know. Mass, double mastectomies for children who decide, young girls who decide that they, they want to be male. Um, the Times started doing it, and then immediately the Times was flooded by left-wing organizations like GLAAD and others that signed a letter condemning the New York Times reporting for telling the truth. They can't believe that all of a sudden the Times is not going to be their mouthpiece for their agenda. And the Times pushed back, and they said, wait a minute, this is a news organization. We're not a mouthpiece or an activist for the transgender agenda. And people can't believe it because, you know, the Times is actually asserting for the first time the fact that they're supposed to be reporting the news, that their editorial page is very left-wing, but they want to at least have the – Uh, a a semblance of some type of journalistic integrity when it comes to stories that they put out there that they tell both sides of. And the transgender movement does not want that. They don't want you to hear anything, whether it's true, whether it's backed by science, whether it's common sense. They don't want you to hear anything that pushes back against a full-throated acceptance of transgenderism. In fact, um, you know, they, they'll, they'll say that. You know, we heard as this debate was unfolding, beginning with same-sex marriage and the LGB community. I'll leave the T out for a minute. Lesbian, gay, bisexual. Um, that we were just told all they want is to be left alone. They just want to live their lives. They don't want to be discriminated against. And then almost immediately when that began to happen— And many people, including me, said that would never be the end result. The end result was going to be, you have to agree. You can't even stay silent. Because to stay silent is to put LGBT people in in danger. You're endangering their existence unless you celebrate what they've chosen. You can't just agree with it. You can't just, you, you certainly can't disagree. And now, more than agreeing with it, you've got to be found celebrating it. 
And most evangelical Christians are not going to be able to do that. And they can't, no Christian can do it and stay faithful and true to the revealed word of God. And so, you know, as, as the transgender movement has gone forward, now that there's some pushback, I mean, they're losing their minds. And I want to, I want to give kudos here to Matt Walsh. Um, Matt Walsh is he, his podcast is, uh, huge, uh, got a big following. He's connected with daily wire. Um, he's one of their commentators. And a couple of years ago, he pretty much declared war on transgender surgeries for minors and the, this multiplication of, um, you know, drag queens doing lewd and suggestive dances in front of children masquerading as some kind of storybook hour, okay? So as he began to push back against this, he became effective. He started out with a book that he wrote. Um, it was uh, Johnny the Walrus, and it was about what would happen if a young boy decided he wanted to be a walrus, and his parents supported that. And it's a children's book that sold over 100,000 copies. It's been very successful. He followed that up with an interview on Dr. Phil. And while all that was going on, he was making, he was producing a movie called What a Documentary, What is a Woman? And that became widely distributed. Then Daily Wire uncovered the fact that I think it was Vanderbilt University Hospital was actually doing transitional surgeries and some of those on minors. And so they exposed it. And Matt Walsh, um, called for a big rally uh, against the hospital, against that procedure. He had several thousand people showed up in Tennessee, and the Tennessee legislature began working on a bill <coughs> that would outlaw transitional surgeries on minors. That bill passed the Senate, and this week it passed the House of Representatives in Tennessee and goes to the governor's desk where it will be signed into law. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's a formula for success. That's making a decision, having a plan, executing the plan to perfection, and getting results. And the results in this case is the protection of minors from having their bodies mutilated with transgender surgery or being given puberty blockers, or be gi being given cross-hormone therapies, things that can damage their life uh, before they're old enough to understand the ramifications of the decisions that they're making. And, it's, uh, and it really is, in my mind, one of the evils that we face in the world today. So I, I just want to point out that we don't have to be overwhelmed by cultural insanity, we can take a stand. And Matt Walsh will be the first one to tell you that, that that didn't happen just because of him. It happened because of all the people that responded. But there had to be a generator. There had to be a, an organizer. And he became that for a lot of people. He testified. I mean, he didn't just call for all this. He testified before the Tennessee legislature and encourage lawmakers to pass this legislation. 
and now they've passed it. And now they've got their sights set on outlawing lewd behavior and performances by drag queens in front of minors. And that should be outlawed. I mean, can anybody with a modicum of common sense, you, you don't have to be a Christian, you don't have to be a person of particularly strong moral fiber to see what these drag queens are doing in front of children and recognize that that is something that as a society we cannot have. And now Tennessee is moving to pass a law that would prevent that from happening in the state of Tennessee. Now the question for us here in South Carolina, can we mobilize, can we respond in the same way the people of Tennessee responded, and can we protect minors, and can we start with protecting babies in the womb? Let me, let me get this uh, text message done here. Uh, let's see, do that and that and add that. I probably need a space there. You know, I've, got, I've gotten pretty good about typing with my thumbs. Uh, need a question mark at the end of that. Boom. Where's okay. slide? Now we're done. <laughs> yeah, a little music in the ladies and gentlemen, while I'm uh, multitasking over here. Um, all right. I talked about Matt Walsh. I talked about all the accomplishments that um, I think have been affected by some pretty good leadership coming from a podcaster, from somebody who's a cultural commentator. And, uh, it, you know, in the state of Tennessee, it's going to make a lot of difference for a lot of minors who are not going to – it's going to be against the law for them to have transitional surgeries, having their bodies mutilated – before they're old enough to even understand what their the decision is. I mean, I, it's terrible that there are adults who will sanction this kind of thing. But thankfully, the state of Tennessee is saying not on our watch. And South Carolina needs laws like this because of the day that we're living in. I mean, we're at a point where the culture is has lost its mind about the things that it embraces and it's tearing our society apart and we need common sense moral laws to protect us from a woke agenda that includes the mutilation of minors through this kind of surgery and it includes protecting life in the womb after Roe versus Wade has been overturned and I talked about this yesterday to the Republican Women's Club over in, in, in the, at the Poinsett Club. Look, we're, we're an abortion destination state. I, I don't know if you realize that or not, but you need to get your mind wrapped around it. Women are coming here to have abortions because we've got a 20-week abortion law. That's into the second trimester. And we can't get legislation out of Columbia to protect life when we've been given the opportunity as a state to do so. We've got a governor ready, willing, and able to sign a bill that would protect life in the womb, but we don't have a legislature that can get themselves together on what to do about it. And look, I'm not, I'm not, don't hear me throwing the legislature as a whole under the bus because most of the people down there in Columbia 
are trying to do a good job. When we make broad collective statements about the legislature, then people that are working hard to make South Carolina better by sponsoring good legislation, people like Josh Kimbrell, people like Senator Kimbrell, Senator Corbin, um, Senator Loftus, um, and I could name a whole lot more, and good people in the House that are, are trying their best to pass good legislation. I think the House leadership under Merle Smith uh, as Speaker, under Davey Hyatt as Majority Leader, under Tommy Pope, I think they've done a good job trying to push the not only the things, the laws that we need to have concerning things like fentanyl and making fentanyl um, penalties stiffer so that we can stop the fentanyl trafficking in South Carolina. I, I, not only are we, are we doing that, but they're pushing other laws that would make South Carolina more conservative and therefore make our society better. But for some reason, there, there are about six senators over in the Senate that absolutely will not tolerate a bill that would protect life beginning at conception, even though it's being championed by other senators. I just named some of them. So that Human Life Protection Act, H3774, is in the Senate right now. They need to take it up. Medical Affairs need to, needs to pass it to the floor. They need to uh, set it for special order, and they need to protect life in the womb now. Not a year from now, when everybody's up for re-election, and it'd be easier to point that out, but now. And so one message has put out some social media information. I mean, we've been we're in these districts where um, we're trying to put some pressure on the Senate. Now, not we're not railing against anybody. We're not calling everybody baby killers. We're not saying they've got blood on their hands. And and by the way, can I just tell you that when you do that, if you engage in that kind of rhetoric, you will get nothing. Just think about yourself for a second. Would you want to work with or listen to or move in the direction of somebody that's falsely accusing you of being a killer of babies in the womb? I mean, it, it, that's not the way to get things done. The way to get things done is to point out the facts, talk about the number of abortions that we're having right now in South Carolina, which according to DHEC is approaching 1,000 a month, and we talk about the fact that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. We need a law in South Carolina. The heartbeat bill was overturned by the state Supreme Court. We've got a new Supreme Court justice. And I know a lot of people would say, well, we just need to pass the heartbeat bill again. But you know what? We've got a better bill available now to pass, the Human Life Protection Act. It protects life beginning at conception. And the Senate needs to take it up. But again, your conversation with senators needs to be respectful. They need to be encouraged. You need to share with them why you think life is precious and then should be protected from conception. But we're, we're not going to get this done if we don't lean in and engage. It requires... 
people showing up. It's not just enough for uh, one message to put the message out there that this needs to happen. We have to respond when the message is is put out. I mean, that's, that's essentially what Matt Walsh became. He rang the bell, and people answered the call, and they put the pressure on the legislature that got things done. I'm ringing the bell today along with my, with our one message partners South Carolina Citizens for Life Alliance Defending Freedom the South Carolina Catholic Diocese the S- South Carolina Baptist Convention Office of Public Policy Palmetto Family the Association of Crisis Pregnancy Centers in South Carolina I mean and others were ringing that bell and we're saying now is the time Christian Chamber in South Carolina we're saying it's time for businessmen it's time for everyday citizens, it's time for politicians, it's time for grassroots activists to put all of our voices together and ask for a solution because we need to protect life in South Carolina. And now is the time. Why? Because we're talking about life. We're not talking about roads and bridges. We're not talking about a tax. We're not talking even about education. As important as education is for us to get it right in South Carolina, it's more important that we protect life because education doesn't mean much if you can't make it out of the womb. And so we need these protections. But I can't We can't have them if you don't participate in big numbers. I'm not talking about four or five people. I'm talking about four or five hundred people and eventually four or five thousand people. Are we a pro-life state? That's a question that we need to answer. Are we serious about it? Are we willing to take a little bit of time and wade into the political waters that nobody likes? I mean, I get it. I hear that all the time. You know, people will come up to me, boy, I sure do appreciate what you do because I wouldn't do it. I'm glad you're down there because, boy, I wouldn't have anything to do with it. Well, let me tell you something. If I'm down there by myself, it doesn't matter. It only matters if it becomes a clarion call and people answer that call by responding. And that's what I would ask. With respect, again, most of the senators support this. Most of the Republican senators support this. There's a handful of them that don't. And I'm just asking that that you ask the Senate as a whole. This is going to have to, the, the pressure, once it comes on the Senate, then the caucus the Senate caucus, the Republicans, will get together and say, look, guys, we've got you know a lot of calls, a lot of emails, a lot of people saying this is what they want. We've got to do something about this. Well, you know, um, when, when it starts happening like that internally, that's when you start seeing results. So please, if you hear this today, contact your senator. Go to sc.statehouse.gov. You can find out who your senator is right there on the homepage, sc.statehouse.gov. You can put in a little information, tell you who your senator is, hook you up with them, tell you exactly what you need to do in order to support the Human Life Protection Act and to get the Senate to move on it. By the way, Senator Josh Kimbrell uh, dropped a bill this week that would curtail 
ban, stop the promotion of emotional social governance. And that's an incredibly important piece of legislation. As we talk about all these issues, we talk about life, we talk about, um, you know, the C, uh, CRT, making sure that that's not making inroads in South Carolina. One of the things that we've got to be sure that we protect against is ESG. Um, this is, I mean, it could cause you, can you imagine sitting down across from a loan officer at a bank and them asking you questions, you come in for a loan for your small business or maybe just personally, and they begin to talk to you about what are your environmental uh, views. If you're a small business, do you have an environmental officer that's what, making sure that you, you're minimizing your environmental impact? Uh, do you have a diversity officer? Do you have someone that uh, promotes diversity and hiring in your small business? I mean, and, and these are questions not about whether your, your fiduciary responsibility or financial stability is intact so that you should get a loan. This is trying to find out if you're politically worthy, if you actually have a left-wing woke enough viewpoint in order to get money from a lending institution. That's what ESG is. And, it, I mean, it, it would be a blight on small businesses. It would be a, a terrible thing for uh, our economy in South Carolina, and it would prevent good people from being able to basically advance in this economy. Because if, if you can't line up with a particular agenda, you can't get a loan from the bank. So we need to support this bill. I mean, I, this is something else as we talk about supporting the Human Life Protection Act. We also need to support ESG and, and do whatever we can, make our voices heard to make sure that that bill gets passed. And I know, I hear you. I Remember I told you, um, I'm not going to have this magic touch when I start doing just the podcast and, and broadcasting, streaming live. On I, I, I'm going to lose, one thing I'm going to lose is the magic touch of being able to hear you when you talk back through the radio. I, I hear you. I, who's got time to do all this? How in the world can you're at, you've already asked me now to contact about the Human Life Protection Act. Now you're telling me that I need to be working to make sure the ESG bill gets passed? Yes, I am. Because we're talking about the quality of life for all South Carolinians. And we've got to be able to walk and chew gum here at the same time. By the way, let me give you, Lisa yesterday put this out, and I'm going to give you a um, another option here uh, for staying connected with things. SC Life, you can text 50457 uh, to SC Life, or is it is that backwards? No, you text yeah, you text SC Life to 50457, and if you do that, you'll get a response that will allow you to identify your state senator. You know, I've been telling you to go to. Um, um, sc.statehouse.gov, but you can you you can skip that by just taking your phone and texting SC Life to five zero four five seven, and you'll get a response. It'll give you the option to send a message to your. It'll identify your state senator, your House of, of Representatives member. You'll be able to. You'll be given a possible response that you can look at and decide if you want to reword it or if you want to just send it as is, and you can send a message to them. Um, it's, it's getting involved, making it easy for you to get involved 
um, and to make a difference. You can do the same thing. We, we have the same sort of tools over at Palmetto Family. So you can go to palmettofamily.org. You can download our app, the Palmetto Family app. You can listen to the podcast, and you can connect to scstatehouse.gov uh, right through the Palmetto Family app and do the same thing. You're making this way too easy. Well, it's, you know, this, this, is, this is what happens when we can get people, if we can get people to work together, we can give you several opportunities as a solution. Um, so anyway, there, there you go. I'm, I'm not just asking you to get involved and not giving you any way to do that. I'm asking you to give, get involved, and there's, there's a way to do it. Um, we don't, we don't really have time to get into the Project Veritas story. Uh, we've only got about five minutes left in the program. I'm going to save this for next week because this is at least a couple of segments. Um, I'll set it up a little bit for you. Um, as you know, since 2011, um, we've had James O'Keefe who started Project Veritas. And they've, since then, they've become a, a nonprofit. They've gotten a board, they've raised a lot of money, um, and they've exposed, they've been incredibly effective as expo- to, in exposing just some of the lies that are out there um, that we need to know with woke agendas in the public school system, with um, what's really going on at some of these abortion clinics, uh, with and the latest story that gained a lot of traction what, that just came out this week, earlier this week, was about Pfizer and the fact that they were talking about doing mutation uh, on, mutations on the COVID virus to determine whether or not, you know, how to come up with the next vaccine. Well, that, that's how we got this to start with. And so all of these things that Project Veritas has been revealing, very important. And now James O'Keefe is out, even though he started the organization in 2011, um, his board ousted him earlier this week, and it's caused a tremendous controversy. But there's a lot of moving parts to this, and for us to understand it, to have the truth about it, is going to take some time, and we just we just don't have that kind of time left in the show today. Uh, so let's see if—well, let me give you another example. Th- this story caught my attention today from the Daily Signal. It's by Virginia Allen. And the title is Local Arizona Leaders Detail Reality of Border Crisis at Hearing that Democrats Boycotted. Now, this is another, you know, you, you've got, I gave you an example today of the, the contrast between President Trump going to East Palestine, passing out water, meeting people, going into the McDonald's, buying burgers for first responders, and talking to the people, the people that are on the ground, and Pete Buttigieg going as the Secretary of Transportation, putting on the hard hat and standing there making pronouncements um, about the rail disaster that doesn't do a thing to help any of the people that live there. Well, you've got the same kind of thing going on with the House Judiciary Committee that held a hearing at the southern border yesterday focused on the effects of the border crisis on a local Arizona community. The Biden border crisis marked the second hearing the committee held on the situation at the southern border during this Congress. It's about time we told the truth. It's about time we fixed this problem, 
Representative Jefferson Van Drew, Republican New Jersey, said of the border crisis during an interview with the Daily Signal shortly before the hearing began. And here's the bottom line, Van Drew added. It's fixable. We don't have to, we don't, this doesn't have to happen. This was self-created by President Joe Biden, by Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, and the, whole, and the entire administration. So the committee went to Yuma County. It's located about 150 miles southwest of Phoenix. has a population of about 207,000. Uh, it's an agricultural community. And members of Congress heard from three witnesses at the hearing, all of whom are well acquainted with the ways in which the surge of illegal aliens crossing the border is affecting their community. Here's who spoke. Okay, you make the decision if you think this was valid. Jonathan Lines, who, who is he? He's a Yuma County District Supervisor, Yuma County Sheriff Leon Wilmot, and Dr. Robert Tinchel, President and CEO of the Yuma Regional Medical Center. So you've got health, you've got law enforcement, and then you've got a community um, leader, a district supervisor, that understands what's happening within the context of the community. Not a single Democrat accompanied uh, on the Judiciary Committee went to this hearing. They called it a political stunt. They said, and in fact, they came out and said House Judiciary Committee Democrat members boycotted the, the hearing with ranking member Gerald Nadler calling the hearing a stunt. He said Judiciary Republicans will once again hear from any federal government witnesses at their hearing, further cementing this hearing as a brazen act of political grandstanding. Yeah, in other words, we got the government bureaucrats up here in Washington that's who we're going to listen to. That's who the Democrat Party is listening to while the Republicans are going to the locations where the problem exists and listening to the people. That's the only way this problem is going to get fixed. The people who know best about it. Democrats don't want to hear from those people because they know what they're going to hear, that the open border situation on our southern border is destroying these communities and creating problems that's going to take years to climb out from under. Republicans are hearing that straight from the mouth of the people that's experiencing it, and Democrats refuse. Now, you, to me, that's a pretty easy choice. If I'm going to choose one or the other, I'm going to get behind the people that are getting closest to the people. You realize that's what the House of Representatives is supposed to be? The people's house. It's the house that's closest to the voters because they have to get elected every two years. And they're doing exactly what Congress in the beginning was expected to do. Get close to the people. Hear their concerns. Respond to them. That's what Republicans are doing. While the Democrats are grandstanding, with committee hearings that bring bureaucrats to Washington to basically give canned speeches. All right, that's all the time we've got for this week. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you on Monday.